Welcome back, U.S. history fans. We left off talking about World War I, and I said, don't worry, things are looking up for America with prosperity of the Roaring Twenties. So that's right, this lesson's gonna be bully, 1920 slang. All right, let's get going here. So, all right, first off, the Roaring Twenties. World War I may not have made the world safe for democracy, but it did help to lay the groundwork for a decade of American economic expansion. Money, money, money. So now that the war is over, we see demobilization in the 1920s. And demobilization, uh, basically the standing down of a nation's armed forces from combat-ready status. This includes wartime factory workers and soldiers. So basically America is transitioning. We were doing war stuff now. Not so much. So the 1920s saw the growth of the culture of consumerism. Buy, buy, buy. Consume, consume, consume. Many Americans began to work fewer hours, earned higher salaries, invest in the stock market. I'm sure that won't come back to bother us. And buy everything from washing machines to Model T Ford cars. All right. So this whole idea of culture of consumerism was prominent of the 1920s, and it changed the politics of American society and set the tone for American attitudes about money in coming decades. And sadly, probably still today, bye-bye now, don't really save for later. So anyhow, Americans enjoyed too much and didn't bother to save anything for tomorrow. I'm sure that won't come back to haunt us at all. 1929, I'm looking at you. Anyhow, American industry had grown because of the war, producing a lot of the goods for the war. So now that we have all these businesses that were ready to produce war stuff, now they're producing consumer stuff. Also, during this time, we have tariffs or taxes on foreign goods, and this led to American products being bought within the United States. So, because foreign goods are more expensive, people want to buy American stuff. This helped to create an economic boom within the United States. Also, around the world, people are buying American stuff. So, consumer goods felt the biggest boom, um, including cars, refrigerators, radios, cookers, telephones, and so on. So, all these things that people are buying for their homes. And these newfangled technology all the kids are listening to these days, radios were key in giving Americans immediate access to cultural events and news stories in their homes. Later on, the TV. So, anyhow, radios are becoming a big thing during this time to spread information. And this is going to come into play big time when we get into FDR. So, remember that when we get to our fireside chats. Now, consumerism was not only pushed by higher wages, but by this thing called credit purchasing, or buy now, pay later. People could spread the cost of a good uh, that they were going to buy over months or even years. So, you know, 10 easy payments of $24.99. Um, now, granted, goods did become cheaper as well. 1909, a car would cost around $950. By 1925, that would be $290. Now, to put that into today's numbers, roughly, $1.1909 would be around $24 today. $1 in 1925 would be about $12.43 today. So just to give you an idea, a car in 1925 would cost, this is a brand new car, top of the line back then, today would cost us around $3,600. Yeah, good luck finding a brand new car for that kind of stuff. Now, all, mind you, the price, the reason it went down is partly in due to mass production. If you remember that from our industrialization unit, the assembly lines and all that stuff. 
Model T cars were being produced in the United States every 10 seconds. So with all these prices going down and goods being produced all the time, the standard of living or the average of which people were living in America went up. And this was cut because of the prices and so forth, but food was plentiful and cheap. So yay, all Americans having good food on their plates and so forth. People owned houses, and a lot of this was done through mortgages. Remember, buy now, pay later. And these new homes that they owned, they filled them with consumer goods. They parked their new cars in their brand new garage. Life was looking up. Our president of the time, Warren G. Harding, 1920s president, urged a return to normalcy after World War I. Basically, let's stay away from the war and get back to the way things were, good American values, and so forth. He really didn't push too hard to do much. He didn't really do too much with taxes of tariffs, immigration restrictions, labor rights, um, and business regu regulation. Remember that whole laissez-faire oh, 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 to let do? He just kind of let the businesses operate and kind of get out of hand. And his presidency is not really known for much uh, much other than, you know, scandals and corruption, uh, teapot dome scandal. And he was kind of um, uh, an interesting thing about him. He and his wife spoke fluent Mandarin, and they would speak to one another in Mandarin Chinese. Um, so thought that was kind of interesting. So the Secret Service didn't know what they were talking about. Um, his successor was Calvin Coolidge, Cool Cal. He took over after Harding's death. Um, he did put some federal tax, tax cuts in and raised tariffs. So once again, con continuing with isolationism. Um, he let laissez-faire economic policies continue. So uh, the, key, the reason I keep bringing some of these things up is because a lot of these policies are going to come back to bite America with the stock market crash. So just a heads up. So and, and one of the big businesses that I've referred to a little bit and I'm going to keep referring to is the whole idea of the model top model tar. Hmm. How about model T car? Huh? See how I got tar out of that? Anyhow, yeah, sorry. My brain's a little bit going here. Anyhow, the model T car um, was very popular in this time and big time money for Ford and Henry Ford and so forth. And there was two main reasons for the rising popularity of cars, and that was the two C's, cost and credit. So first off, the cost, the price of the cars was down so people could afford them. And to make them even more affordable was that other C, credit. In 1925, Americans made 75% of all automobile purchases on installment plans. And so since America is a market economy, which is an economy driven by supply and demand, and since demand was up, American companies produced, 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 and this is going to come back to bite us. So Henry Ford's goal was to sell cars the, uh, that an ordinary family could afford for the most part. Now, because these cars were so popular, this saw the promotion of other industries and other economic effects. For example, uh, petroleum, rubber, and steel all was growing big time during this time because cars were growing. We need petroleum, we need rubber, we need steel, so those businesses grew too. Um, also, a national highway system was created during this time because we have these cars, we need to drive them places. And now that we're driving all these places, we need new service facilities. We need more and new gas stations, garages like mechanics and so forth, roadside restaurants, all these things. 
So those were the economic effects of the of, uh, automobile. Now let's talk about social effects. We are a mobile society. We aren't just limited to a small area anymore. We are on the move. We are going places. We had new traditions such as the Sunday drive. People got a chance to get out and tour the rural countryside. We're no longer stuck at home. Let's go places and see things. And maybe we can drive really, really slow on a Sunday and everyone gets really mad at us. Sorry, that's maybe a personal thing. Rural Americans drove into the cities to go shopping and to be entertained. I mean, think about it for ourselves. Sometimes we travel far places to go see movies or maybe more so plays. Uh, we go shopping and farther away for discount stores or the Mall of America maybe even or um, all these different places we go to be entertained and to shop and do stuff. Um, also, maybe not the best of uh, social effects, it broke down the stability of family life. It was easier to get away from your family and go out on your own. You know, it used to be families were a lot closer and people could be around each other, um, you know, and around their extended family a lot more. Now, I mean, you know, you think about it, how many family members do you have living outside of the state? Um, most people seem that they do. So people can get farther away and, you know, you think about it, one of the modern day threats that sometimes parents use on their kids are, you know, hey, I'm going to take away your car keys or I'm going to take away your phone. You think about it, the car keys and your phone, that is your like your window to the outside world. Also, Internet, too. Um, you know, God forbid someone takes away your Internet. You couldn't listen to my podcast. I know. Terrible, tragic. Um also, going on this dire way, it broke down the traditional morality uh, that had surrounded at previous times. Children could escape parental supervision as cars became a sort of, quote, bedroom on wheels. People could do things that they maybe shouldn't have been doing. So I'll let you think about that. Um, anyhow. So now moving on away from kind of the whole cars and all that kind of stuff, we're going to be talking about that Russian Revolution. Now I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute. What? Russian Revolution? That was World War I. Why are we talking about that again? Well, actually it has some long-term ramifications for the United States here. So first off, a little bit of review. Remember, Vladimir Lenin was the guy in control of the Bolsheviks that did this whole Russian Revolution stuff. And I apologize if I'm going a bit quick through this, but hopefully you've already gone over this and you remember this from world history. If you need to, take a look back at that podcast. Anyhow, Vladimir Lenin, group of the Bolsheviks, took control of Russia during the Russian Revolution. Uh, you know, the whole hammer and sickle, primarily a red flag, you know, that was their, like, big symbol of, like, ha Russian Revolution, let's go! And the whole idea of communism... Um, you know, that official style of government that they had. The government owned all land and property. Government, everything. Kind of opposite of America. Uh, number two, a single political party controlled the government. All right, dictatorship. Okay, opposite of America. Number three, the needs of the country always took priority over the rights of the individuals. Sorry, Bill of Rights, America. So we have this opposite style of government. And after Lenin died, Joseph Stalin took over. Now... The reason that I bring all this up is because as communism spread to many different countries, America started to worry. And this is going to influence how things are done in America. Okay, remember that whole isolationism thing that we were talking about? It's going to grow even more intense, because partly because of what was going on in Russia. So we are worried about the spread of communism because they are the opposite of democracy. 
and we have immigrants coming into the United States, and we're afraid that they are communists, and they're going to bring with them communist ideologies and so forth. So, um, for example, people on strike in Seattle were branded as revolutionaries and revolutionists and communists and so forth. And most likely, they just wanted better stuff. But we were scared of communism, so we saw communists wherever there were people that we didn't like. We just called them communists, basically. All right, 1919, a Russian-backed communist group, okay, official communist, did try to take over Germany's government. So that kind of made us a little worried. We're like, oh my gosh, they're taking over different places. Um, also, several bombs were sent to government officials, especially in Seattle, and one did get to its destination and injured, injured several. Well, remember that whole media sensationalizing stuff? Um, they said, oh my gosh, it must be communists. And this time period of being scared of communists became known as the Red Scare. Now, the Palmer Raids was a big part of this. In June 1919, these bombs that were going off in different, several different cities and so, so forth, one of them blew up the Attorney General's house, this A. Mitchell Palmer. Yeah, he wasn't happy about this. He figured that radicals were trying to overthrow the government. And so he tried to identify and root out groups that posed a clear and present danger to America. So he went after these subversives or people trying to subvert or overthrow the government. So he targeted communists, socialists, and anarchists. Anarchists are people who are completely like anti-government at all, you know, altogether. And communist socialists, you know, one-party dictatorship, strong government kind of thing. So January 2nd, 1920, federal agents in 33 different cities arrested thousands of suspected radicals with no evidence and charged them with anarchy. Now, I say that kind of facetiously because, well, you can believe in anarchy in America. That's okay. It's maybe not the best, but, you know, you can, you're allowed to believe in those kind of things if you want. So, anyhow, uh... Then, May 1st, 1920, which was an annual socialist holiday, he predicted, this A. Mitchell Palmer, that the nation would experience a general labor strike and widespread bombings. And then, May 1st, 1920 happened, and nothing happened. Actually, it just was another day. And so after that, people lost faith in him. But, whoa, boy, you know, he red scare kind of stuff. And continuing on with this, um, 1920, some gunmen robbed and killed a guard at a shoe factory. And the police were under a lot of pressure to find somebody. A few weeks later, they did find somebody, two somebodies, two Italian immigrants that they believed were guilty. And this was Nicola Sacco, a shoemaker, and Bartolomeo Vanzetti, a fish peddler, who were both anarchists, anti-government, and these two were found, uh, they found some guns that I guess Sacco had owned, and it was the same model, not the same weapon, but the same model as the murderer's weapon. And most people thought that these guys were innocent, and it was mostly based on immigration, you know, kind of scapegoats and so forth. So there was a big trial and so forth, and these guys were, you know, sentenced to death, but it was a very biased jury, and they didn't really get a fair trial. Were they 100% innocent? Probably not. Were they guilty of this murder? Probably not. Anyhow, many protested um, about this and protested for them to try to help them and everything, but in the end, it didn't really matter. They were sadly put to death by the electric chair in 1927. All right, 
So um, those labor strikes that we kind of talked about, there was an increased amount of labor strikes that was going on, and this was thought to be communist agitators. But remember, this is still kind of industrialization time period and stuff. Most of these strikes, people just wanted more money because the standard, the cost of living had risen as well. People wanted to buy all this stuff. They need to make more money. So we see a lot of like, oh my gosh, there's communists everywhere and there's all these bad things going on. So people started kind of moving towards this, not only isolationism, but nativism, a movement favoring native-born Americans over immigrants. And this flared up uh, big time after World War I, uh, partly because one, patriotism. Many Americans believed that foreigners could never really fully be loyal to the United States. So we should get them out of there. They don't, they don't like America like we like America. Number two, religion. Nativists who were mostly Protestant had long mistrusted immigrants who were mostly Catholics or Orthodox Christians or Jews. And so how can you really be part of America and a part of our way of doing things if you don't even believe in the same things that we believe in? All right, number three, urban conditions. Americans often blame the problems in cities, such as strikes and so forth, and those terrible tenements like, you know, the slums and also corruption. Blamed it on the immigrants who lived in those areas. All the bad areas, it must be their fault. Scapegoats. Blame them even though they're probably not to blame. And finally, that whole Red Scare thing that I brought up. Immigrants came from the most uh, mostly stable parts of Europe where World War I had started. All right, now nativist believes that these immigrants might hold and adopt radical ideas from those areas that are now becoming communist as the Red Scare in communism is spreading and so forth. So these people are going to bring with them communism. All right, we are going to hold there for a little bit. We're getting close to the 20-minute mark. So um, I'm going to be talking about women's rights when we come back from the break. So stay tuned. 1920s is not over yet.